Welcome back to Badass Women 50 Plus. I am Robin Lane, producer, director, actress, writer, creator of this show, and psychotherapist. And because age matters, you should know that I just celebrated my 87th birthday. Our co-host, Maria Sakor, is less than half my age. Age matters because we are a culture that is obsessed with it. We hide it, we deny it, and once a year, we celebrate it. But age is more than just a number. We are the sum of our experiences, and be they triumphs, failures, or whatever is in between. Now, our mission is to inspire women to do well by themselves by sharing experiences of struggles that we and our guests have overcome. If you've watched the show before, you know I am unapologetically vain, a bit self-centered, and not afraid to call things as I see them. It is the prerogative of age and should be the inspiration for all, regardless of age. Now, by vain, I mean that I've made my health and well-being a priority, something that's often the last thing that women do, whether it's because of our personal relationships, work, or family. Putting the needs of others before ourselves seems to be what we do. So, when we correct that imbalance, when we start seeing our obligation to our own needs as equal to those that we love, not only can we accomplish greater things, but we lead happier lives. Learning to discern what is of value is the subject of today's show. Hi, I am Maria Sikor, actress, award-winning filmmaker, and social activist. I'm going to tell you this joke in honor of Robin's 87th birthday. <laughs> an 87-year-old woman is riding in an elevator in a very lavish New York City building when a young and beautiful woman gets into the elevator smelling of expensive perfume. She turns to the old woman and arrogantly says, Ralph Lauren, $150 an ounce. Then another young, beautiful woman gets on the elevator and also very arrogantly turns to the old woman saying, Chanel number five, $200 an ounce. About three floors later, the old woman has reached her destination and is about to get off the elevator. Before she leaves, she looks at both beautiful women in the eye, bends over, farts and says, Broccoli, 49 cents a pound. <laughs> Happy birthday to my favorite badass. At age 87, I have had ample time to learn what's of value. And recently, I came across a comic strip with this perspective. The first image says, here is something true. One day, you will be dead. The next says, here is something false. You only live once. You only live once. And then it explains. The next image says it takes about seven years to master something new. So if one lives to my age, then after the age of 11, and if they really apply themselves, they would have 11 opportunities to excel. They could have a career as a butcher and a baker and a candlestick maker, etc. So through that, they would be living many lives. And I learned this lesson in the nick of time because I had always been a lazy slug. 
When I was young, I was quite the looker. And when you're a beautiful white girl, things, they just fall into your lap. You get invited everywhere. And even if you show up late, everyone's thrilled just that you came. Men, they are a dime a dozen. And you get recognition wherever you go. So I didn't have to work very hard. And therefore, I didn't value much. Now here's an example. When I was 18, I hung around a bar that was across the street from the most prestigious drama school of its time, run by a renowned impresario. And all the actors from the school would gather there. And one, Ben Gazzara, he went on to become a star in movies. But at any rate, he asked what I like to go to that school. And I said, of course, but I couldn't afford it. Don't worry, he said, you're pretty. I'll direct you, you will get in. That happened. I get a two year scholarship, very valuable. But when it's time to show up for class, the playwright actor Mike Gazzo, now you've seen him in The Godfather, he asked me if I would like to be in a play that he's doing and I figured, well, I can always go to the school and the acting job seemed brighter and shinier, so off I go. Later, I get a letter from them telling me that I had abused my scholarship and it was forfeited. Did I care? Not really, because what the heck, something else would come along if not the next day, then the next day, the next day, and the one after that. Fast forward to a day when I'm getting off a bus and I have this uneasy feeling. I can't put my finger on it, but the same uneasiness continues for a while until finally I realize the cause. People aren't turning around to look at me anymore. I'm turning 40. That birthday, I am in Bloomingdale's on the down escalator where it looks like to me as if every woman on the up escalator is 18. I go home and for the next month I cry, I break things and I stay stoned. Eventually, I drag my shattered ego out of bed and take stock. Other than the discipline of working out, as I said, I was a lazy slug. I knew that I had a good memory. I was smart enough. What I lacked was discipline. I had read somewhere that it only took 66 days to develop a new habit. My options, put my nose to the grindstone or bemoan the lost halcyon days. And though there were many occasions when I longed to throw in the towel, however, over time, I came to value the satisfaction that came with each earned victory, earned from hard work. The rest is history. I have always been competitive. Whoever says that you don't have to fill someone else's shoes may be right, but why not aim for a bigger size? People will often say your biggest competitor is yourself, but my biggest competitors are those whose shoes I desire to walk in. At a young age, I thought those shoes belonged to those in the limelight. <laughs> my first real opportunity started in the eighth grade when a flyer circulated for a teen beauty pageant, which was a prelude to a much tougher one that required talent. I knew I could win both. I was a hard worker, and along with dancing in a junior ballet company, I got excellent grades. 
dance recitals, school plays, participating in Stations of the Cross, being school president, were all ways to get better at performing for an audience, which I felt was crucial to my happiness. Growing up in Orange, New Jersey wasn't always pretty, but it certainly taught me to earn what I went after, and unlike Robin, I had no expectations of anything being handed to me. Pageants were the perfect next step. Along with learning poise, I learned to make the best out of what I was given. I remember my very first pageant, I was given a costume I hated and with so many sequins that they actually dug into me and bruised my skin and left me with a month long rash. But when it was my turn to go on stage, I'd be darned if I wasn't going to be the best and pain or no pain, I had to compete with every fiber of my being and that's what I did. That's showbiz. But making pageants a career was not my goal. Sure, I wanted the limelight, but not as a beauty queen. My very first year, I won two out of the five categories, but placed second. Second? <laughs> that wasn't good enough. In fact, it hurt. The following year, I entered again, and I won in every category. Compete. Always compete was my mantra. Pageants are demanding. There were constant rehearsals, dance combinations to master, then dress rehearsals, and of course, time to travel as a group, and one had to volunteer. There was more to it than being pretty or even skilled. It was about learning to be so natural in front of a large audience that my God-given looks would be magnified by a hundred. I always thought to myself, what can I do better? And took to my heart my dad's telling me, you have to practice so that if I wake you up at 5 a.m., he'd say, you'd be able to ace each category because you will be prepared. It was that simple. Later, as part of my social activism, I volunteered to work with high-risk teenagers, prepping them for job interviews, and as I helped them gain poise, I had an awakening. All of those Saturdays I gave up for rehearsals shaped me in understanding how to present myself with confidence, and I could pass that on to these teens. If you ask me what was the most glamorous part of winning, it wasn't the sash or the crown or being Miss New York or Miss USA. It was getting the skills that I could hand on to others. Being in pageants prepared me to help those girls. Not only was that the real glamour, but amazingly taking the spotlight off myself and shining it on these girls was not only enormously gratifying, but no competition required. My career behind the camera as a documentarian affords me the same sweet reward. Maria's capacity for hard work and her ability to reset her values and shine the spotlight on others has made her a role model for many. There is a pageant saying that is perfectly apropos for Maria and it goes like this. Crowns aren't made of rhinestones. They are made of discipline, determination, and a hard-to-find ally called courage. Hi, my name is Bridget, and I'm here today because I'm going to share the story of my changing values. It begins in the present. 
I open my eyes, I smell the essential oils in the air, and I know new day has begun. I take a deep breath, breathe out, exhale, and say out loud, well, God, is today my day or someone else's? My day begins with meditation. This routine that seems so effortless every sunrise wasn't always the case. Simple notion of feeling of value was hardly the case. Getting there has been a long, hard journey. I grew up with divorced parents and my mother's strict household and a stepfather. My mother was a dictator, abusive in her discipline. I cannot bear long discussions drenched in the details of that abuse. Let's just say Cinderella had it better than me. I was at school that I found solace. There I could set my own goals. One good thing she did give me was the Mormon church. There I found morals and ethics that were fulfilling. Traumatized as I was, my faith enabled me to dream of a way out. I would turn to God. He would guide me through life better than my mother. As I grew older, semblances of self-discovery began to bud. My friends told me I was attractive, funny, and smart. But mother took pride in making sure that my teenage life was grounded in her vision. I did only what she wanted me to do. The sole control that I had during this time was in choosing my elective classes at school. That's where I could stand my inner alpha up. In my freshman year, I chose language and welding. Welding was my strength for three straight years. Amongst 2,000 students, I competed with all males. <laughs> and stop me, I was top of the class. A helmet with my name still stands in the ISU display holding case, second place. Damn right. <laughs> Yet, Mommy Dearest would devalue it all. So that glory was short-lived, and my overriding goal was to get out of the house. Seventeen, I purposely got pregnant, so I would have a reason to leave. Tragically, my firstborn son was a stillborn, as was the relationship. But let it be clear, I still graduated high school. I became homeless, I was living in a shelter, and discovered I was pregnant again. I managed to get a decent paying job and get myself out of a woman's shelter and marry the baby's father. In one year, I gained a husband and a child. This isn't a fairy tale ending. I separate, I find myself 21 years old, divorced with a baby. I leave my country town and I move to a city where I feel like my life is moving forward. My second marriage embarks and pregnancy graces me twice. I wish I could say this was my happy ending, but I'm afraid it isn't a Disney recap. More domestic abuse follows, along with great financial struggles, and I am trapped once again in a house of pain. After ten years of marriage and seven of his affairs, God gives me the strength to divorce. I'm 35 with three children, and I return to a place of comfort, church and school. After all I've endured, I wanted to be an advocate for those like myself. I won a scholarship to ITT Tech and major in criminal justice. I balance school, schedules, parenthood, internship, and work. Sleep was not in my schedule. I seek out counseling and start to heal my values change. I learn to value my strength and resilience. Counselors suggested find something solely for my enjoyment. True to form, I take up motorcycling, and modeling finds me. Turns out, I'm a badass woman. My 40s have shined on. My successes are multiplying in my life. My children are accomplished adults. I've become a foster mother to three children of color who I love as my own. Today, I am successful. Traumas in hand, 
I reflect on pains buried, cry in private, and I still forgive my mother. My skeletons are sitting and waiting for me to make necklaces out of them. I keep walking tall, and I go out to conquer the day. Thank you, Jesus. Bridget has overcome multiple challenges, not least of which was getting out of an abusive marriage. It's admirable that she then went on to help other women suffering in similar situations. If you or someone that you know is in an abusive relationship, please be sure to contact the Domestic Violence Support Hotline. And we hope that her successful story inspires you not only to hold on to optimism, but to value yourself and your safety above all else. Here's what I've learned to value. In March of 2008, I had to close my international antique company, which I had put 14 years of really hard work into, while at the same time, my marriage was in trouble. The two relationships that define the very essence of me were falling apart. I was 48 years old and in a major life crisis. To back up a bit, though I had been in long haul relationships throughout my life, I married late. And on a business trip to India 10 years earlier, a renowned astrologer predicted I would marry a very tall man who was not an American and whose first two initials were CH. Six months later, a friend of mine wants me to meet a man that she thinks I will like. I do. He's 6'7", his name is Christian, and he's European. He sweeps me off my feet, and we have a long-distance love affair, and a year and a half later, we marry. We were raised with similar value systems, or so I thought, and maybe there were some red flags, but whose marriage is perfect? And I wanted a child and the clock was ticking and I was captivated by him. In our first years together, I ran my business and tried to become pregnant. I could not. I also discovered that Christian liked calling himself a married man, but even liked better to behave if he was still single. I did a lot of praying to try to ask God what were the reasons for this on which this side of my divorce I understand the universe was actually protecting me. We could have never managed a life together and bringing a child up into such a volatile environment would not have been good. Oh, so by 2009, I'm a single woman, the economy is falling apart, my business is closed. And the marriage, which was meant to sustain me as I grew old, is gone. The value I learned from all this heartache is the saying that loving someone is easier than liking someone. And what I learned from my marriage is that love and like are not the same. That could have never happened with Christian. After all, he did. I was never going to like him. I was not going to have the family that I had craved and I would have to find value in some other manner. Fast forward, as it turned out to be in a manner that I could have never dreamt. After a lifetime in glamour businesses, from fashion to antiques, I now serve folks who are entering life's final stage. I am the advocate who enables them to gracefully downsize from a family home to one half as big. If circumstances necessitate and independent living is no longer possible, 
and a deeper level of care is required, I am the one that moves them and makes everything feel like home, right down to the toothpaste. I was unaware that I was actually spending my life enhancing women's worlds. From my days at Donna Karen to my fashion, in fashion to antiques, I would say out loud, I always felt I was being called to make people's souls feel beautiful. And I had no idea where that was coming from. But when I would just stop and listen and recognize what I valued, I realized I was being guided all along and that every job I ever had was connected to the one I do today. The meaning I was looking for, I have found. I consider myself lucky for all that has come before me, good and bad. I've also met myself and not only do I love her, I really like her. And P.S. For some time now, I have a wonderful man in my life and we love and like one another. Billionaire Zhao Quinfell is the world's richest self-made woman. She lost her mother when she was five and her father went blind. She learned to survive on her own. Now fast forward many years and Zhao's in a growing business when circumstances arise that force her to sell not only her house, but everything she owned and it still wasn't enough to meet what the company needed. She was desperate. It was the darkest moment of her adult life. She tells the story of how she stood on the platform of a train station in Hong Kong and almost jumped off thinking that when she was gone, all her troubles would vanish along with her. But then, a phone call from her daughter pulled her back to sanity. She said that she realized that for her family and her employees, she had no right to give up, and she attributes all the success that came after, and she's had a lot, she's a billionaire, to just one thing, perseverance. It's the value that she and Susie share. Perseverance. A phenomenal woman is someone who inspires others because she leads by example. The phenomenal woman, by daring to pursue her destiny, enables other women to change their values and take similar risks. Now, all of us badass women are phenomenal. And here, is actress Chantel George performing Maya Angelou's poem, Phenomenal Woman. <laughs> Many people wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size, but when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. <laughs> I say it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step in the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally, a phenomenal woman. That's me. <laughs> Woo, yes! Ah, <laughs> I walk into a room just as cool as you and to a man, the fellas stand or fall down on their knees. And then they swarm around me. Ooh, I have to honey bees. 
I say it's the fire in my eyes, the flash of my teeth, the swing of my waist, and the joy in my feet. I'm a woman. Oh, phenomenally. A phenomenal woman. That's me. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. And when I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the rod of my breast, and the grace of my style. I'm a woman, <laughs> phenomenally, a phenomenal woman. That's me. Now you understand why my head's not bowed. I don't shout, jump about, or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say, it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, <laughs> the, the, the palms of my hands, the need for my care. I'm a woman, phenomenally. A phenomenal woman. That's my mother. That's your mother. It's our grandmothers, our aunts, our sisters. That's you, and that's me.